I'll say thank you, Coibus, but I'm not really sure that I should be saying thank you for that. But that's okay. So this wraps up my uh, my visit to, to South Africa. Minus the intro, I think it's a great way to wrap up the visit. So thank you for hosting me here tonight. I always like the level set because model-based is kind of the topic in systems engineering. So I, I have to ask, how many practitioners of model-based systems engineering are there? Just so I can level set. Okay, two. Uh, how many are aware of model-based, the, the principles, but not really practicing? Okay, Coibus's hand was up. How many can spell it? <laughs> the reason I say that is, is you know, there's something here for everybody. So if you're not a model-based expert, don't worry about it. It's interesting these days because the only constant in our society is change. And that is, it sounds like an oxymoron, but nothing is state static. And what, in my opinion, is driving that is the technology insertion cycle. We have greater technology available every day, which means we have new ways to deliver capabilities, but we also have our users wanting more and more. And so that imparts a great deal of complexity on our field because we are the people who are working with others to translate those user desires using those new technologies into things that actually make our lives better, not worse. Now, MBSE is both a solution to that and part of the problem through technology. It's been the obsession of systems engineering for in excess of 12 years now. If you go to the International Symposium, more than 25% of the papers will have this somewhere in the title or abstract. I'm sure that'll be the same way it is in 2020. I'm not saying that's a particularly good thing. But the interesting part is we've been on this journey for about 12 years. Organizations are in various stages of their development and using model-based. But we've got to change our direction, in my opinion, if we truly want to get to the digital future that we're headed for. Not a formal, uh, not a formal presentation. There are not that many of us in the audience. So make comments, ask questions as we go along. Because if you don't ask me, I will ask you. Or I will at least ask Coibus. <laughs> so if you think about adopting model-based approaches, systems engineering has lived by the V model for a long time. The wine glasses that you guys are drinking from have the V model on it. It is not a perfect representation of what we do, but it's an embodiment of the processes. And that has governed us for, well, the V model has been around probably for 25 years. The system's processes are largely unchanged from the time they were documented. And then along came the digital revolution. Now, systems engineering is late in terms of, of adopting model-based approaches. We don't talk about model-based mechanical engineering. That's called CAD. It's the way you do mechanical engineering. We don't talk about model-based chip design. That's ECAD. You can't do chip design without it. But about you know, in 2003 was when our profession started to apply digital techniques and merge the V and digital together, and you have model-based systems engineering, and all is good, or is it? There are many things about the way that we practice systems engineering today that are a bit challenging. And as Lewis Carroll wrote, or actually he didn't write this, but the quote is attributed to him, if you don't know where you're going, any road will do. We now need to decide if we continue on the current journey 
which I would argue will take us somewhere, not necessarily where we want to go, or if we will do a course correction. Now note that I say course correction. I'm not rejecting everything that we've done because we've made progress in those last 12 years. But if we don't do a course correction, uh, well, like I said, I don't think we're going to get where we want to go. Sorry, wrong button. So digital is interesting. It is one of four revolutions. We think of it as making our job better, and it does. It certainly makes things easier. I like the phone I have on my hip. I like the internet. I like all these concepts. But it also injects a great deal of complexity in the world. The world was a lot easier before software came along. Now, it is one of four concurrent revolutions, though. If you talk to futurists, they'll talk about the digital revolution, the unprecedented computing power, storage, etc. They will talk about the energy revolution, primarily renewables. Closely coupled to that is the environmental revolution and mass urbanization, the, uh, the movement of great segments of the population into the cities. These four, cult, these four revolutions in parallel are somewhat unprecedented in history, and they are driving a fifth revolution, which is a cultural revolution. For example, people don't necessarily believe in the concept of ownership going forward. If I talk to my children, they don't understand the concept of buying music. They subscribe to music. If you want a jet engine from Rolls-Royce, you don't buy a jet engine from Rolls-Royce. You subscribe to flight hours. That's a different mental model. And in part, it is driven by these four revolutions. And the moment you have a cultural revolution, that triggers a sixth revolution, which is a counterculture revolution that says, I like the way it was in the 50s. Can I just go back? We live at this time, and these together have changed the age. We actually do live not only in the age of revolutions, but the age of complexity. This change is part of the change that must drive systems engineering because there is a difference between complicated and complex. Let me, let me stop and talk about that for a second because at least in English, we're very sloppy about the use of those two words. We will use them in an interchangeable way. Complicated from an engineering perspective is what we've dealt with. I'm going to back up for a second because that will distract us. Um, complicated is what we've dealt with for probably 400 years. And it allows us to use reductionist thinking, and it allows us to take a big, pick, a big problem and break it down into piece parts. But those piece parts have low coupling, low connections between them, which means I can, bake, I can break a factory job, uh, a product line down into pieces. I can train you in part, you in part, you in part, and then I could just let the factory line run, and it works. That has worked for a long time. But if you think about the systems now, we can't break them down into piece parts that are lowly coupled. There is high coupling between them, often because of the technologies that we're dealing with, often between because of software and digital. So complicated, break it down, low coupling. Complex, when you break it down, it's not clean, which means you can't assign the piece parts out, bring them together, and think it's going to work. The technique for one does not necessarily work for the other. So McChrystal in Team of Teams, which is a fabulous book, it's actually about organizational concepts. He argues that hierarchical organizations, which break work down in a complicated format, don't work anymore. Instead, you need network concepts, teams of teams, 
But in this book, McChrystal does a wonderful job of describing systems and systems engineering without reverting to technical speak. Several things that he points out are, boy, these certainly sound like systems engineering and holism to me. You can't understand your part of the solution unless you at least have a rudimentary, a basic understanding of the whole thing. You can't make good decisions if you don't have context. And if you're functioning in an inter interdependent environment, you've got to have a holistic understanding of how the pieces come together. Systems engineers in this room, I think we can agree with that. That's context that's important. And so let's then talk about if the world is moving from complicated to complex, and if I'm about to argue that the path of MBSC is a little bit off track and needs adjustment, well, first we better understand where we are because we've made good progress over the last 12 years. We should be building on progress rather than throwing it away and reinventing it. So what's the progress? Well, we've used modeling and simulation for a long time. That's essential to engineering. It's also essential to systems engineering. It's where rigor comes in, but that's called models in systems engineering, not model-based engineering. Okay, that's good. That's a key part. Um, but what changed is about 12 years ago, we got this obsession with new ways to represent what's called the descriptive architecture. Helping us translate from first statement of business need through requirements, through logical architecture, through physical architecture, through VNB, etc., we've got new ways to do this. And that is driven by computing power. You can't do model-based really well without computing power. Okay, so what are we trying to do? If the systems engineers, the connective tissue that binds the project team together, that helps them see the same big picture, that helps them set the same big picture, then can we improve the way we communicate? Can we improve the shared understanding? Because we need the perspectives of all of those people operating in an interdependent team to understand the problem and develop the right solution. Well, the best technique we used to have to develop Mindshare was the specification which everybody could read, but it's rather low fidelity. If you're gonna go build a home, do you just sit down and write a 60-page document and hand it over to the architect and the lead contractor? No. You use a book of plans or digital software or something, you don't use the written word. But yet somehow we still use the written word. Can we do better? Model base says, yes, you can. We can communicate with better clarity and we can use digital techniques. We're trying to connect that team. We're trying to remove ambiguity. So my punchline on model-based systems engineering is pretty simple. It's an evolutionary change in the way we represent knowledge, moving from relatively low fidelity specifications to higher fidelity. And if you characterize it that way, you recognize you're on a continuous journey. Because I suspect tomorrow we can represent knowledge in a better way than we can today and so on and so forth. Part of the reason that I characterize it that way is I think it's right, and part of the reason is it lowers the barrier of entry. There's not a whole lot of fear if you're just talking about evolutionary approaches. Now in doing so, we can get other benefits out of it. We can have an authoritative source of truth. You can go to one place to find out everything you want to know about that program. You can guarantee consistency. You can provide explicit models, et cetera, et cetera. It is transformative if you do it right, but it's natural and it's an evolution. And there's good progress in that. 
So in doing so, the first thing that you talk about is an authoritative source of truth. Can you find, rather than each of us having a different mental model of the problem and solution, or disparate answers in 15 different specification documents, can you go to one digital repository or a federated set of digital repositories? Organizations are doing that. They're doing it right now. Can you connect architecture and analysis? These are models in systems engineering. We've done these forever. They are high fidelity. They're generally physics-based. You know, if you're going to launch a satellite, you need to have a thermal model, a power model, you name it, a weight model. They're highly coupled. How are they coupled? They're coupled through the descriptive architectural model. Much the way that the systems engineers, the connective tissue that holds the team together, this descriptive model actually tells you how all these detailed engineering models come together. This is the tool for managing complexity and being innovative. This is the tool for rigor. They're not disconnected. You can do that in a higher fidelity way in a model-based method than in the written word and specification. We used to believe that the only way we could engineer a system was to design it fresh from the top down. So we have a new idea, we do top-down design, we're not allowed to reuse everything, we go to the atomic level. This was the discussion on system of systems. We don't do that anymore. We recognize we can't afford to, to design our own chip for every system that we're <clears> going to use. We buy chips, or we buy routers, or we buy something else. So systems engineering is moving from the concept of custom design and build to can we compose? Can we build a new capability by integrating things that already exist? Okay. Some of that is systems of systems. Some of that is interactions. How does model base play into this? If you want a first, second, or third order approximation of how to do this and what's going to happen, bring your models together. So if you've got a model of various components and you want to understand their emergent behaviors, positive and negative, bring those models together. It's not perfect, but it helps us in the concept of composability. And this is an area that systems engineering is definitely going in. But that's where we start to realize there's a problem. Because the world of model base as it's framed today is not all positive. It's not actually necessarily going to get us exactly where we want to go. So it's time for our reality check. If you went to a product lifecycle management group, a PLM group, and they were talking to you about engineering a product through life, they would show you a diagram something like this. And this represents the progression of a design and data on a system on a product through life. 15288 life cycle at the bottom. We begin with the conceptual design. This is the fuzzy front end where systems engineering lives. It's where you get your require, you know, your requirements, your functional, your logical, your physical design. And classically, we would hand off specifications, and then you'll do the detailed design, and then the customer would order, you'll build it, you'll deliver it, you'll service it, you'll, you'll change it through life, and PLM would manage all the data, but notice the hard silos. The data is separated, but it worked. We've been able to do great things for the last however many years, and it's worked. 
Why has it worked? It's worked because it's been complicated and not complex. It's worked because there's low coupling between the, the aspects of design and, in fact, the various phases of design. It's worked because change has happened slowly. And so you can do a waterfall process if things aren't changing very much. Does that sound like today's world? Okay. Change is ever present and coupling is high. So we need to rethink this. Something about this isn't going to work. So what is it? Well, go back to team of teams. Your first instinct is, you know what? Technology makes life better. So let's throw technology at the problem. Well, what McChrystal points out and what you can see through history is if you throw technology at a problem and you don't understand it, you get more complexity. The example of this is the airline industry in the 1970s. You started to bring more electronics into the cockpit. And you'd like to think that that made flight safer. The highest number of fatalities in the airline industry occurred in the 70s as they were introducing those aspects because you were getting complexity. You weren't reducing complexity, you were introducing it because you took the same approaches, brought software, digital, etc., and you actually had pilot overload, <coughs> is what resulted. So the same thing happens to us. If you take our existing mindset and just throw digital at it, we're now trying to control complex systems with complicated approaches or with approaches that are suitable for complicated problems. Pointless at best, destructive at worst. Digitalization of classic systems engineering won't work. And that's actually what we've been doing for the last 12 years. Doesn't mean we have to throw out the D, but it does mean we have to rethink things. So, as systems engineers, we know that we can decompose this car, and we can design it, and we can have the right wheels, and we can have the right motor or engine. And the combination of the motor and the tires and the chassis and everything else will give us the performance we're after. That's our job as systems engineers. We work with the teams to make that happen. We would never think that you should go out and get that motor and those tires and put it on that chassis and you'll get any desirable performance characteristics, right? We know better than that. We know that you can't quote unquote optimize the components and get the optimal system performance. But more than that, this is not fit for purpose for that vehicle. And unless you're on Mythbusters, that is not fit for purpose for that vehicle either. So we know this instinctively. It's part of what we do, but we forget it about applying it to ourselves. There is this perception. If you listen to model-based systems engineering talk today, people will talk about integrating models. The solution out there, in fact, I, almost, I pretty much said it when I was talking about composability. What we have to do is we have to integrate models because that'll get us where we're going. And we have the feeling that this model chain is strong and tight and it's gonna hold together. A model chain is like that. It's held together with duct tape, bailing wire, wire and bubble gum. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because every model is built for a specific purpose. 
you cannot integrate things together that are not fit for purpose and think they're going to work. We're in trouble. My father taught me several things about systems engineering. One of them that I remember very crisply is the law of conservation of systems engineering, which is very simple. It says once you pick a problem, the amount of systems engineering to solve that is fixed. Okay? A more complex problem takes more, less complex, less. Unprecedented more, precedent less. But once you've set the problem, your choice is do you do the systems engineering up front where it's high leverage, or do you do it at the back at integration and test when things don't work? It turns out the engineering system is also a system. So why don't we systems engineer that? as opposed to simply integrating and testing our way to success. That PLM model with its various silos, you can't just do a digitalization of each silo, add it up, and think you've got something that's going to get us where we want to go. So the course correction in my mind is the following. Should we be systems engineering? Well, yeah, we should be systems engineering. We're systems engineers. We're supposed to evangelize for it. This is a great idea. Yes, but for the past 12 years, we have started looking inward at our own processes, methods, and particularly tools. We're very obsessed about these. And if you think about it, even our notations are off-putting to the rest of the world. You cannot walk up to a mechanical engineer or heaven help you, a user, and show them a systems engineering diagram these days and go, does that make sense to you? Doesn't make sense to anybody. What has happened is we have looked inward at ourselves and built a hard silo around systems engineering. Rewind the clock even further. Before that, we were obsessed with our processes. Actually, we're still obsessed with our processes. That's just secondary to model base. Again, that's inward looking. That is natural reductionist thinking. There's nothing wrong with that, but we're holists. We're supposed to be thinking broad, and we're staring at our own feet. If we want to transform the engineering life cycle, we've got to be looking at the life cycle. It's not about us doing our little bit in ideal format. It's about us changing the engineering value chain. It's not about digitizing individual silos beginning with our own. It's about unifying design. Because systems engineering is a team sport, and to do it, I need the insights of users and business people and software engineers and mechanical engineers and subject matter experts, etc. I have to draw them in, not exclude them. We have to stop systems engineering, and we have to start engineering systems. Sounds like a semantic flip. It is not. It really is not. Engineering systems is a holistic look that helps me translate from business need through capability, through the ultimate system of interest. Systems engineering is our little piece of it. We need to go back to our principles and grab that mindset again. That's the course correction in model-based. It's not about us doing our bit piece better. It's about us doing this value chain better. If you look back in 2011, um, 
this concept started to come out. This was a U.S. National Defense Industry Association report, not on model-based systems engineering, but on model-based engineering. And if you think about this, everybody else, all the other engineers on here already had model-based techniques. The laggards were us. So our thinking was, we'll go model-based and it'll make everything better. It will make everything better if we do so in the context of enabling this life cycle, as opposed to simply enabling us. It's not that we didn't know this was coming. We did, we just didn't realize how quickly. If you look at the INCOSI uh, technical roadmap for model-based systems engineering, published in 2010, the roadmap went along these lines. Let's get some standards. By the way, I'm not sure what we're standardizing here, but by the way, standards are always good. Just ask us, we'll tell you. <laughs> so let's get some standards before we know what we're doing. Then let's mature our methods. Then let's integrate our model with simulation and analyses to get more rigor, visualization to communicate better. And then let's get us the theory, ontology, and formalisms, and then let's work distributed. What's the disconnect there? How in the world are we going to mature our methods before we understand the basis that underpins them? That is insane, and we knew it. We absolutely knew it. The problem is, this is hard, this you can do, you can do quicker. And that's what we've done. We needed to make progress. We're engineers, we're practical. We made progress to this point, but we made progress looking within the wrong context, looking at systems engineering. If you're going to leap this con, if you're going to make this step, you're at the discontinuity. We knew it would come, we just didn't know it would come in 2018, and it is here. And it's not just me saying so. If you pay attention to SysML, SysML 2.0 is actually all about this discontinuity. They won't call it that because they're, they're going to market better than I am. But the reality is we've hit the discontinuity. We have to change our path. Where does it begin? With me, it begins with stop obsessing about the diagrams that we want and start obsessing about the information we need. Think about CAD. CAD comes down to top, front, and side, right? Most of us did mechanical engineering. We did drafting as we were going through school. But none of us opened up Visio and thought, let me just arbitrarily draw top, front, and side and think that that'll work. We used CAD software. And at a geometric level, what underpins CAD software, the data model for geometry, is points and vectors. It is that simple. What is our information model? Our information is model is not a requirements diagram and an activity diagram and a sequence diagram and any number of other diagrams you can throw at it. Those are representations. Those are views from a particular viewpoint that help us communicate, but only if they're communicating about the right thing. What is our right thing? What is our information model? I'll tell you it's out there but I will tell you that you can't read the Encozy Handbook and find it because it's out there implicitly. And if we're going to mature, if we're going to bridge that discontinuity, if we're going to connect those silos to engineer systems effectively, 
we can't have an implicit information model. We have to have an explicit information model. A meta model, if you prefer, but basically, how do these concepts map together? Those should be familiar words to you. I'm not telling you that systems engineering itself is changing. The V does not go away. But the key is we need to be very clear on what those words mean and more importantly, what the interconnections mean. Systems engineering is all about relationships, interconnections, interdependencies. That's where emergence occurs, positive emergence that gives us what we want, and negative emergence, which we call unintended consequences. What defines complexity? Interconnections and interdependencies. So we actually have the tool to deal with this problem. Now you may go, ah, this isn't all that important. We have a pretty good idea of what all these words mean. They're good enough. Well, they are pretty good. But if you're bored one night, and for an engineer, you don't have to be too bored for this. This can be pretty exciting, but only to an engineer. You invite a systems engineer, a software engineer, and an electrical engineer over and have a discussion on what the word function means. Okay. It's not exactly the same, right? You think that'll cause a problem? We as humans can deal with that. We deal with ambiguity. We can give a little slack. We can reinterpret. It is dangerous, but we can. Digital can't. Okay. Now, I'm not going to tell you that this is the right information model for systems engineering. It's, by the way, absolutely not complete. You certainly can't fit that on a slide. This happens to be the one that we've used, we've evolved based upon research that began in 1967 and application through the years. Okay, if you want to know more, you can get it from our website, you can talk to us. If you don't like this one, that's fine. And Cozy has one called S-STAR, developed by Bill Shindell and the Patterns Working Group. It's all about how these key systems engineering concepts interrelate. But the key is, this is the information needed engineer system. It is more than just a set of diagrams. Diagrams give us a way to visualize this, to communicate this, to populate it, etc. But a single diagram doesn't show all the information required to engineer a system. That's why we have so many of them. It's more than a data dictionary. A data dictionary would simply say, I've got a collection of all my requirements, I've got a collection of all my components, I've got a collection of all my functions, and all the other things. But the relationships are what's essential. And those aren't captured in a data dictionary. It's more than just about capturing the information. If this is the necessary information model to underpin engineering the system, then it gives us a map for a journey. And we can move from what we know to what we don't. It's absolutely more than specification. And this is probably the most important point to me. The byproduct of systems engineering. So think back to that PLM chart. We do our work up front, we produce a specification, and we hand it off. That is the what of design. Think about how model-based is applied today. We do our engineering up front, we hand off some model or some representation of it, but again, we're handing off the what, and it moves on. The key thing about systems engineering is not only the answer, the what, but it's the why. How did you get there? What are your design decisions? What assumptions did you make? What alternatives did you consider? What is what your rationale for the path that you went down? 
When you think about these systems that we engineer, the journey of design, the thought, the rationale walks out the door every night at 5 or 4.30, depending upon the office you work in. And that is the critical thing. Why? Because the systems that we engineer generally take years to build, are generally in the field for a long time, and you're not going to be around to tell the story of why you visit, did that. So when somebody has to evolve that because there's a new requirement or new technology, it's not the what of design that informs that, it's the why. They can look at the assumptions. They can look at the alternatives. They can look at your rationale, and they can better adapt. Okay. So it's more than specification, and it's actually more than the system of interest, because then this drives a learning system. You can capture the heuristics, you can capture the patterns, you can capture those aspects that mature systems engineer. When we do this, I, I started by saying, or I started this segment by saying we have to be holistic, it's not about us. Yes, we have to support systems engineering, but we have to do it in the right context. We tend to think of these people over here because they're really involved in design, plus these are the guys who pay us. But we also need to think of other people because we have to think through life of the system. Can we help the users? Can, how are we going to support maintenance? How are we going to handle other people throughout the life cycle? You can engineer the engineering process. And if you're going to digitalize the engineering value chain, we have to do that. The visualizations that we use today for systems engineering are absolutely horrific. Okay? Only a SysML or UML user could look at an activity diagram and go, boy, that is good. <laughs> okay? They don't communicate effectively to anybody else. Who communicates really effectively? Well, if you think about 3D CAD, that's pretty darn good. How about the gaming industry? That's really good. Why can I not take an operational concept or a concept of operations and feed it into a gaming engine and put a user in front of it and go, Did that, is that what you meant? You think you're going to get a better review there and more insight than if you hand them a specification or worse than that, a stack of documents? I think you will. So can we immerse through life with fit-for-purpose visualizations? If we capture our information in the right way, we can drive visualizations at the front end of the life cycle, at the training end, at the maintenance end. We can do anything we want. You're not going to do that if you do today's approach. But then there's something more than this. We want to believe that MBSC is technology. We want to believe it's information model. It is those things, but it's more. And the words that are key here are workflow, because we've got to transform the way we exchange information. We can't go in a siloed approach anymore. It's about people, because the moment you talk about representing knowledge, that's a personal issue. That's a people issue. It's a human issue. It's about culture because that has to do with how people deal with information. And the last word is really scary for engineers. People is really scary for engineers too, because we don't like those. But trust is a very abstract concept. It's a sociological construct. How are we prepared to deal with it? Well, I'm not sure we are. We have to embrace others. They'll help us. But I can tell you why it's important. If somebody gives you a module of code and tells you, hey, 
just run this because it will give you the aerodynamic characteristics of X. Should you do it? Are you going to bet your career? Are you going to bet the safety of your users on that? Only if you know the person and deeply trust them will you trust that model. So the thing is, trust is not embedded in our models, it's embedded in people. You don't trust other people's models. And worse than that, you don't trust other people to run your models because they don't know the fit for purpose, the context, the rationale, the bounds of validity, etc. And so if we're going to start exchanging information in a high fidelity way and trust the results, we've got a sociological construct that we have to deal with. That brings us to this. I know we're smart. I know we're engineers. We're the smartest people in the room. Again, just ask us, we'll tell you. We're not shy about that. We don't know everything that's necessary to solve this problem. We have a unique perspective in terms of holism and engineering the system of design. But if you're talking about information concepts, there's a field called semantic science. Why don't we engage them? If you want to talk about visualization, we can continue to deal with what we got if we really like SysML and UML, or we can deal with people who are experts in visualization and encoding information content. It's about culture, which means those guys are important. Networks are about life sciences, not physical sciences. Um, yeah, I hate to say IT has a bit of a part here. Sociology for trust. We need to draw other people in. If we're going to engineer, if you're going to engineer a product, the first thing that you do is get subject matter experts in the technologies and the problem domain, right? These are subject matter experts in the technologies and the product domain if we're going to transform the engineering life cycle. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with a call to action going forward. Model-based needs to adjust its course or it's going to take us to the wrong place. Systems engineering needs to evolve its thinking. And interestingly enough, engineering needs to change as well if it's going to deal with complexity. We're dealing with bigger systems. We're dealing with more complex problems. There's high coupling. We're dealing with complex project teams. They're distributed across organizations and across a global supply chain. That makes communication very, very difficult. And we're dealing with dynamic complexity. If the problem is interesting enough, it is changing while you're trying to solve it. It is actually changing because the user has new desires and new technologies are coming out. And so we're definitely at complexity. We're probably also wicked in some cases, but you'll note we're exceeding the capabilities of traditional systems engineering but I would argue of engineering as well. Engineering as we practice it today is built on reductionist mentalities that have served us well since the 1500s. Reductionist thinking is helpful, but when you're dealing with interconnected concepts, you have to blend it with holism. That's a change. As systems engineers, Incozi figured this out about 2000, we lived traditionally in this domain. This is where we grew out of, this one as well. But then we looked around and said, hey, medical devices, those absolutely are systems. Transportation, absolutely. Energy, absolutely. 
more than just products or systems. The engineering system that develops each of those is a system as well. It's built up of people and policy and process and workflow. So the building blocks are different, but just the same way we can engineer this or this, we absolutely can engineer and must engineer this. It's about connecting people. It's about connecting ideas, connecting insights, and it's about connecting them around the information model necessary to engineer a system. It's bigger than us, but it takes us. What we ultimately have to do is we have to figure out how to enable collaborative digital engineering. It is not about progressing in a waterfall way through these stages. That won't work anymore because there's high coupling. Interestingly enough, I think we sit at a unique period of time, a unique moment of time. We used to think that it was about the emergence of systems techniques. That's what we've been focused on for 12 years from model base, 30 years from process. I would say that because of the digital revolution, we sit at a point in time where this life cycle, the way we engineer capabilities, is transforming. The question is if we're deliberate about that or if we're accidental. There are three possibilities on the way we get to the future. We will accidentally stumble into it. I don't think that's true. We will try to integrate our way to it. I think that's actually the most likely course because all the other engineers work via reductionist techniques, which mean they integrate but not in the way we mean, it means they assemble. And so they're going to digitalize and they have digitalized their silos and they're gonna connect them. That gets us to a future, but it doesn't get us to the future we want. The only way we can get there is if we re-engineer the engineering value chain. Systems engineers have a very unique role in that. We live above the silos. We see the way things interconnect. We see the way things overlap. We see the gaps, we protect the seams, but we also preserve the why. Why are we doing this? If we want to get to the digital future, that's what we have to re-engineer. We have to stop looking inward at ourselves and start looking outward. Which leaves me with two comments on the journey to the digital future. First, you've heard from me before if you've heard me talk at all. The path to optimizing systems engineering lies in sub-optimizing systems engineering. That sounds crazy, and it is, but it means the following. If you're optimizing systems engineering, you're optimizing a component of the design process. Systems engineering is not about our part of the process. Systems engineering is about transforming from first statement of need through the system of interest. That's bigger than us. So we have to sub-optimize ourselves in order to optimize the engineering value chain. That's the change of perspective we need to make on this journey. And the reason we need to make it was stated by Akoff. We fail more often because we solve the wrong problem than because we get the wrong solution to the right problem. We have made progress over the last 12 plus years. It's progress to celebrate, it's progress to build upon. But, because the context has changed around us, we are currently solving the wrong problem. We're looking inward 
we must start looking outward if we want to solve the right problem. That's all I've got other than your questions. John. Then how do we, in, in changing our course in model-based approach uh, as we move forward, how do we, how do we cope with the fact that we know that in three years' time, when we estimate we will deliver this product, mm -hmm. whether it's a new product or a legacy-based product, right. how do we accommodate the fact that we know that by the time we deliver this product, It'll be its needs will have changed, yeah. the customer will have changed requirements. How do we do that? Now, software guys deliver slices of functionality within three months using the Agile Scrum approach. Right. What do we do? Well, we are certainly limited by the laws of physics. Yeah. And until digital, I'm sorry, until additive manufacturing gets us all the way that we need to, we have to realize that we're dealing on a different time process. So to me, the first thing is making sure that we set the right expectations with our users and with our businesses. Their mentality is starting to be driven totally by software and what's possible when you're working with bits, not atoms. Which is, I can change on a dime, I can recompile, and I got a new answer. Okay, that's great. And if you want us to do exactly the same thing, we will never deliver you a system because bending metal takes longer than that. And the budget changes. And the budget changes, okay? And so, systems engineering, if we're doing our job, is more than just the technical solution. It connects into the business system, which means, are you driving time to market? Are you getting the capability out there? And are you doing it at a reasonable budget? So at some point, we have to educate upward to say what is actually reasonable that gets you your business need, but we also have to change the way we do things. A lot of systems engineering these days is extremely process-centric. It is not about the high leverage, invest the time to deal with the unknowns, align the team, give them the big picture, and move. It is about turning the crank on an overbloated systems engineering process to check every box on the checklist and think that that's going to get you the outcome. Waterfall. Yeah, it's waterfall. But it's worse than waterfall, it's a process-centric mentality. Get back to the principles of systems engineering. Get back to, if you have a shared understanding of the problem and a shared understanding of your solution strategy at the highest level of your architecture, from statement of need through implementation and test, look at that and say, this we know how to do. I don't need to do any more systems engineering on that. This is fundamentally new. I probably need to go to deeper systems engineering levels on that part of it. This is high risk. Invest your time where it has high return, but also look at your system at a top level architecture and be able to project with futurists that requirement is likely to evolve, that technology I know will evolve, and build it into your roadmap. We don't do any of that right now, okay? And it's because we're afraid to do it because we're running a bloated systems engineering process that takes 10 years to get an answer anyway. So back to first principles, lean it out, 
and be intelligent. Now that works for some products, others you have to be a little more careful of. If you're launching a deep space mission, you don't get to upgrade the software once you've launched it, okay? So fit for purpose, process as well as product. Thanks. <laughs> yes, sir. So it depends on which side of that you're on, if you're talking about X as a service. So if, um, if you're the one providing the service, then you've got to do a much better through life holistic approach to this because all of a sudden maintenance is your problem, okay? And upgrades are your problem. And to be honest with you, businesses are doing that because they realize that one, I can make it easier for my customer. Rolls-Royce can make it easier for Boeing and Airbus. But two, Rolls-Royce can also get more control and make more money because they can get into preventive maintenance and they can do X, Y, and Z that they're experts in. So if you're delivering the service, you have to model not just design, but the whole life cycle to a much better degree than we are. If you're the one with the integrating platform, then yes, you've got to think quality of service and you've got to be extremely careful with the critical design parameters and the measures of effectiveness, again, not only thrust, but other through life characteristics. So the good news and bad news is it brings time into the equation. Time that was always there, but time that we weren't focused on. We've been focused on just give me a design that works and I'll handle the maintenance downstream. We know very well it's operational maintenance costs that drive the system cost, right? But yet how often do you really, really talk about that? You give it, you know, we give it lip service, but then we turn around and figure out, can I find a design that works, period. Okay. Two perspectives, if you're the service provider or the integrator. There's another question. Yes, sir. So it seems to me that part of this, um, well, uh, part of the blurb that, that is, I think, in the Vitek core uh, manuals and, and, and things is that uh, the motivation for going model-based is that you externalize, you get the, the whys and the models for how things tie together out of an individual's head and into yes. a model so that more people can, can understand, interrogate, and then share in folders. And um, you know, that goes counter the silo approach. Right. There's the possibility to exceed beyond the boundaries of the silo. And, and it's almost like what, what you're saying now is that we should just progress along that line, externalize that knowledge or distribute, disseminate that. Right. Build something that is robust enough that the information model can be built, can be shared across all silos. Right. There's visibility, there's context. And, and yes. as long as we have a model, information model that's robust enough and rigorous enough and, and that we can then project to the user um, and to the engineers right. um, along the life cycle, then, then we've moved beyond where we hit it currently. We were just we're creating a, a computer-aided computer systems engineering. Correct. It's, it's, it's this. Yep. 
So in, in a way, it's not, it's, it's, it's a incremental evolutionary, um, but, but still revolutionary in the sense that it breaks out of the science. Yes, and, and you're exactly right. So shared understanding, if not shared cognition, is what we're after. Mm. And so the reality is that when you're engineering a system, everybody on the team has a mental model of how that system will operate and what the problem is that you're trying to solve. The problem is, today, your concept is slightly different than John's, slightly different than mine, and so integration doesn't work because you're building your piece slightly out of sync with mine. So the problem is, um, and I was having this discussion earlier before we came in here, systems engineering, in my opinion, is not yet a discipline. Systems engineering, absolutely, in my opinion, is a craft. Our body of knowledge is not set. The information model that underpins what we do is not explicit, but I think it's there. What do disciplines do is they mature. <laughs> they develop their foundations. Okay, again, CAD didn't go to drafting and say, what are you doing? CAD realized it's about points and vectors. What is our equivalent to points and vectors? It's not new, it's just making it explicit. And so my argument here, my fundamental premise is, we were going to do that for ourselves anyway. It underpins our processes, it underpins our diagrams, it underpins our specifications. We as systems engineers, we're gonna do that anyway. That is part of our maturation. But the digital revolution and the concept of digital thread, digital twin, digital engineering, model-based engineering, I don't care what you call it. The concept of connecting the life cycle ought to be a wake-up call to say, when you do that, don't stare at your own feet for your own reductionist needs to improve your discipline. Improve your discipline in the context of improving the value chain. That we are not doing. And in fact, the one concern I have, we are part of the SysML 2.0 team. One of the biggest concerns I have about the SysML 2.0 team is they may give lip service to what I'm talking about, but the moment after they give that, they revert to thinking about systems engineering from the, from the perspective of a systems engineer, as opposed to thinking about engineering a system from the perspective of a systems engineer. Semantic game sounds like it, but it's a big change in mindset changes your context of the problem. And what I'm arguing is we better do that or we're not relevant. Yes, sir. Maybe the same question engineering is very good top down, has been efficient. Yes. Um, how, how does the model bottom up? Um, So what I would say in the context of engineering systems is there's a missing science to do what you're talking about. We use the word integration. 
And when we use the word integration as systems engineers, we may, we mean bringing together things that were engineered to fit together, okay, top down. When we talk about bottom up and aggregation and assembly, in my opinion, and use the word integration, it is a different kind of integration. Composability is part of the concept that you're talking about, but it is a different science of integration than the one that we use right now. In order to meet in the middle, it's not just gonna be, by the way, bottom up, it's gonna be meeting in the middle. We need that new science of integration. Until we get that, what we're going to do is we're gonna do classic assembly and do a lot of fixing and integration and test, assembly and test. So I wish I had a better answer for you. I do know that some of the people who are working on the concept of composability get that idea. Um, I know a lot of people who are dealing with composability don't get it. And they think integration of intentionally engineered pieces and integration of chosen pieces, they don't get the difference. Wish I had something better for you. Any other questions? Go for it again. So, so the components or the tasks um, ahead of, of plotting this new course. Yes. Um, you spoke of the, the, the data model. Yes. Um, there's views, mm -hmm. um, stakeholder domains, concerns. Um, are, are those things that should be really looked at in the sense of this holistic approach, looking at you know, turning systems engineering inside out and, and, and stringing it to encompass everything on the life cycle and, and focusing on those aspects? I, I, think those, I think that's absolutely something that needs to be looked at. We also need to get above the current silos. Okay, go back to Einstein. You cannot solve a problem with the same kind of thinking that created it. So right now we have engineering silos, both by discipline and by life cycle stage, for very good reasons. It's reductionist thinking and it is waterfall. Okay. The first instinct is tear down the silos. That's going to create chaos. That's actually not the first thing you want to do. The next instinct is, we'll just build lightweight connections between the silos. That's integration. That's also not what you need to do. What you have to do is a classic re-engineering job, which is to get one level up, look down on the silos, not in a condescending way, but really see the picture, and say, this exists for the context of a complicated problem, waterfall, static. How does this need to evolve for a complex, evolving picture? That's what we really have to do. And part of that then means this systems engineering thing over here, you mature, but mature in context. But then looking down across it, where will revised workflows work? Where should silos be merged? By the way, I would argue that everything in the design silos needs to live in one silo. The concept of detailed design is different than conceptual design, but it shouldn't be in its own throw over the wall silo. It needs to be coupled so that it can iterate very quickly with the conceptual design so that as you learn more and, and do what, you can iterate. That's a lot of what Angela does. So I think we're going to learn that we can 
build that as a domain rather than separate domains, and then we're going to have to look at the others. We have part of the answer because we champion holism, but we don't have all of it. So it's, it's data, it's visualization, it's workflow, it's workforce, it's people. It's, it's zooming out to the higher level, and then re-engineering the, the data model and the views and, and the processes. And the processes, yes. So that it, it basically yep. unifies. Yep. And then I'll give you one more piece, because this is the real hard thing. So it is easy to capture the as-is. It's not easy, but it's quite possible to capture the 2B. <coughs> I can then invent the 2B. That's how SpaceX beats Boeing at their own game. Because they didn't have to transform an entity. They re-engineered for a new class, or sorry, they didn't re-engineer, they engineered themselves for a new class of problems with a new technology, with culture, with unified supply chain. Transforming Boeing as is to Boeing 2B, that's hard, okay? And so we have to, we have to not only reverse engineer where we are, engineer the 2B, but then we got to engineer the roadmap as well. It's daunting, but I'll tell you that I don't think there's any other choice. Really don't. That'll keep us employed for a while. Okay, I think um, we can have some more discussions around this, uh, around the snacks and the snacks wine. Snacks and wine. Uh, David, thank you very much. For thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you. you. There's still some snacks and some wine outside. Please feel free. Um, uh, you can still have some chats around the, the or other topics. You can speak about the rugby. <laughs> <laughs>